Well, Sarah, it's been a while, but I uh, hear you have a tale from your box. Oh, I do. I do have some tales from my box because I learned a few things. Well, I I mean, (laughs) there's always more tales, but (laughs) I learned a few things because I did CrossFit in Kona. That's the only the second box I've ever worked out in. It's a weird choice for Kona. You think so? Yeah. I thought I just you know what it is, is that I didn't want to come back like weak as piss like I did last time I went away. So I needed like something at least to maintain. And what I learned was that my CrossFit box is hardcore. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. There are like good coaches and there are bad coaches. And yeah. Well, this, this place had a good coach as far as I could tell, um, in terms of the lifting and stuff. It's just like, it was just, I don't know, like the workouts just weren't as hard, which suited me just fine in Kona. Right. But okay. The tale that I wanted to tell today, because I want to ask our listeners for some feedback. Okay. Okay. Is today we did this, like, I think probably the most, the funnest, the funnest, I like that word that doesn't exist. (laughs) The funnest thing I've ever done in CrossFit, which is, have you ever done this? Burpee pull-ups. No, well, maybe. Can you picture that? So you do a burpee and then, you know, at the top of the burpee, you jump and you you jump jump and you grab a bar and you do a pull-up. Yeah. Okay. And like, there was something about this move that just made me feel like an athlete again, like somehow just like there's jumping, there's strength. There's like, I felt a bit like superhero-ish okay. and like, I loved it. And so after all this time, I was like, oh, okay, my favorite move. So what I'd like to know from our audience is, are there things, listeners that like make you feel like really good, like physically, like athletic, like that? Do you have any? Okay. Like what are really your favorite cool moves? athletic moves. I like, I think climbing the rope in the gym is really fun. FYI. I think that's, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, flipping a tire. I got really into flipping the giant tires for a while. And then I kept insisting that I could do it like randomly when there were like tires at like an auto place. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, okay. I think like... We know what we're talking about, right? So listeners, I want to know, like, what are your favorite? Like, what make you feel? And I'd like to make then like a workout out of all of those things. Okay. It's like the funnest, funnest. You're going to like jump and do some burpee push-ups and then flip some tires and then climb a rope. It's going to be great. Yeah. So we've got three moves so far. Yeah. Okay. So otherwise, coming up on the show, we're going to talk about Kelly's race in China, a voicemail from a listener in Thailand, the future of sports media. And another voicemail from our fabulous audio editor. Live Feisties, If We Were Riding is brought to you by Ass Kicker Inc., whose boutique line of activewear for women features positive uplifting messages such as strong is the new skinny and I can, I will, end of story. You can support the podcast get 20% off with the code riding at asskickerinc, inc with a K, If We Were Riding is also proud to be sponsored by Crave Jerky. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, yay, and contains all natural ingredients. You can support the podcast and get 20% off your online orders by using the code RIDING at CraveJerky.com. That is Crave with a K. I'm Kelly O'Mara. And I'm Sarah Gross. And you're listening to Live Feisties If We Were Riding. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop. This time, like the last time. You better get ready to race in the titty to do 
So Kelly, your newsletter made me laugh out loud on three or four occasions this week. Oh yeah. But uh, tell us a bit more about your race in China. Yeah. I mean, do you mean not like my race, but like racing in China specifically? It was kind of what I was talking about in the newsletter. It's interesting. You haven't raced in China before, right? You I've like, never been not- to China. Okay. I'm missing out. And so I'm loath to make like mass generalizations about an entirely like biggest country in the world. But you might make a couple. <laughs> but, 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 but the, there were some things that were also in keeping with like my reading and my understanding of like the booming sports market there is that it's definitely growing, mm-hmm. but it's like not totally a thing yet. So there's like all these facilities that have been built, but you know, when people build facilities, but they haven't totally thought through how they're supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Or like who's going to actually use them? Yes, there's lots of stuff like that. There was like this brand new track next to our hotel that you could see the track, but no idea how you could get there. And so all of us are like running up and down the sidewalk instead. It was very strange. There was lots of stuff where like they had obviously invested a ton of money in this race. Like it was kind of made clear that the official, like government officials, paid a lot of money for this race to be there, and it was like. It's one of those things where like they say they're going to shut down the freeway, and they shut down the fucking freeway, right? Like no one is allowed on wow, it. That's cool. That's safe. Yeah. And then like there were, I'm not sure if they were poli- like, it looked like more than police. It looked like national guard type <laughs> people like guarding the swim, like very intense. Right. So they took it very seriously, but then there would be like basic things miss it, you know, where you like, like there was a shuttle bus. There was literally the official shuttle from the official race hotel to the race. And you got off the shuttle in this parking lot. And there were all these people like in volunteer shirts, none of whom spoke English with no direction of like which way you were supposed to walk right. like towards transit. Right. Yeah. No. I, so we ended up like walking in circles. I ended up out on a freeway, like walking down the freeway to get back into the tra- like it was a lot of stuff like that where it was just like clearly this had never been done before. It was just very, very mystifying. It kind of reminds me of the Middle East 20 years ago when when my family first moved there, where like they had the same thing. Like there was they were putting a ton of money into infrastructure. So there were these big, big, empty swimming pools and sports stadiums that got used once a year. And they had there's a there's a mountain. There's only one mountain in the United Arab Emirates. (laughs) And it's called the Jebel, which means the mountain. No, it's called Jebel Hafid. And there's like a 10 kilometer road with three to four lanes at any given point straight up the side of the mountain, which is amazing for cycling. And nobody, like people went there, but hardly anyone ever uses road because their like leisure activities weren't caught up with the infrastructure. But now when you go to Dubai or Abu Dhabi, you like people actually use those facilities. There's a lot more active lifestyle. So they eventually caught up. Do you think that will happen in China? I think there is a gro- well, it's partially this whole like there's a growing middle class in China. So you're getting with that, like all the things that come with that, which is like leisure time pets. Pets are clearly like new there. Like people all have dogs, but like aren't quite what's the word? Like all the things that come with keeping a pet, like obviously are still being learned and like picked up. And so with the middle class and all that, you are getting like sports, leisure time, endurance activities. So in the big cities, like there was a big contingent from like Hong Kong. There was, uh, we were just outside Shanghai. There is like apparently a big Shanghai triathlon club. Apparently like this is a growing thing. Um, and you can tell that it's a growing thing. It's just still like not fully realized yet, which like makes sense. I think you give it 10 years and it'll be a totally different picture there. The part that really seems like it hasn't caught on is outside of those little triathlon clubs and endurance clubs, the regular people, like the spectators definitely have no idea what's going on, like at all. 
there was a lot of confused people like maybe on their way to work who stopped for a smoke and took cell phone video of me because they were like, what is this girl doing? Why is she running around this lake? Amazing. I so wish you could find that. I know. I actually really, we also had like a whole big press conference at the beginning and like a pro introductions. And then there was a whole conference at like, a you know, awards after. And I was trying to find video and photos of it because I, I also rarely had any idea what was going on because it turned out I really couldn't get by on English, like at all, contrary to what I was told. No English. So I often didn't know what was going on. And I definitely walked up on the award stage carrying a beer because I <laughs> did it like there was like a talking, 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 sitting in the back, like having a beer, like whatever. And then suddenly they were saying my name over and over. And I was like, oh, shit. And I ran up on stage and like forgot to set my beard down. And you're like, <laughs> as I was like shaking the hand of like the governor or something. Like holding your like Heineken or whatever. (laughs) And then they gave us like the wrong awards because the awards were in English. So they didn't know like what the, so I had like the third place. So so then we had to switch. Like it was really bad. Oh my God. So yeah. So I was trying to find photo and video, but I couldn't find it anywhere. So yeah, there are going to be, I mean, obviously we know there's also more and more races in China. Iron Man put some Kona spot. Like this was a 70.3 that had Kona spots. So there were a, like quite a few Europeans or very few Americans, but there were quite a few Europeans that had come to get ah, a Kona spot right. and to get a, yeah. And so that was interesting. And I think that's happening at the other China race, the one in Shaman. Um, and so we know that these are going to be bigger and bigger, more and more money behind them. This is going to continue to grow. So if you decide to go and do one of these races in China, I would say, Download Google Translate. That would have been helpful. <laughs> Number one I've, advice. I've okay. never literally been that language fucked in another country in my life. Cause I um, you know when you don't know a language, but you still you know the letters, like you can recognize like the name of your hotel. Right. Like if you're in Spain, you right. can kind of like you might even understand a couple words. Right. Yeah. Literally, like I couldn't communicate with the taxi drivers because if I wrote the name of the hotel down, they couldn't read it in English any more than I could read it in Chinese. So it was right. it was terrible. And we were like far enough outside Shanghai that I guess it's like kind of rural. I like, I mean, it didn't look rural, but like it still looked like China and like a big city, but it's relatively rural. And so there just wasn't a lot of English. So how did you, if you couldn't communicate with the taxi driver, like in this particular occasion, like how did you get back to your hotel? Like, did you have like a picture of the hotel? How oh did my you God, Sarah. Oh my God. So there was, so basically every time I would ask a question, there would be someone who kind of understood like some words of English. And so every question would be preceded by or followed, not preceded, followed by 15 minutes of that person arguing with all these other people in Chinese. (laughs) And then they would turn to me and go, okay. And I would be like, okay, what? Okay, what? Yeah. So that was literally like what kept happening over and over and over again. I have no idea what they were arguing about, but but then did you, okay, so you said the name of the hotel and then someone oh, I would show it on my Google map. I would be like, here, I want to go uh, to here. And then the other person would take my phone and then they would start texting somebody else and then they would be arguing. Um, and then, and then they would be like, okay, okay. And you'd be like, all right, well, I guess it'll work out. There was a lot of arguing in Chinese. It was very confusing. Okay, so this was not a race, it appeared, in my sense, for international racers. It was like 80% Chinese athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, you know, it's on me, like for not speaking Chinese, obviously. I just definitely somehow in my head thought Iron Man at the race hotel, like they'll be prepared for international athletes. And they weren't? They kind of weren't. And they had hired like people wearing like volunteer shirts to like had a booth in the lobby of the hotel Mm -hmm. to answer questions 
but they were like kind of only equipped to answer when is the shuttle leaving right and so do you have a bike pump i like had to mime that (laughs) and it was also funny because all these volunteers they all like it was all teenagers and it was largely teenage girls and i guess that's who like really speaks english well but yeah, it was like an army of teenage girls, like ushering you through the expo, through the med tent, like and on the shuttles. So there was a lot of resources. It was an interesting experience. I do think people should go do a race in China. Just, you know, bring cash, download Google Translate. Yeah. yeah. Go with a Chinese friend. <laughs> go with a Chinese friend would be good. I was also told that Shanghai is the most West, like all the, a lot of the Europeans there that who was mostly who I was talking to because they spoke English. They either worked or like had lived in China and they were all telling me Shanghai is the most Western of the Chinese cities. And I was like, right. oh man, <laughs> I would have a hard time then. <laughs> so, Man, I can't think of when I've last been in that kind of environment where without even just a little bit of English. Yeah, I was surprised. I think it's because we were further outside the city than I realized. So because in the city, I went into Shanghai proper one day and that's just a big city. Like you can get by in English. Like it's just, right. it's, you know, it's not like whatever. Right. But is it, it'll be interesting to see where it goes in the next 10 or 15 years, particularly in terms of like women, because obviously triathlons growing there, obviously like middle class is growing there, lots of new things in China. And there were like female Chinese athletes, but it's a lot of younger, like there's not really a lot of older female Chinese athletes. Like that's not really a thing. So it is younger. The younger, um, the women's age groups were really small. It was one of those races where, you know, it's only 18% of the athletes are female. There were some women's age groups that had two people. Yeah. That's really noticeable. It used to be like that in Brazil. And you really notice it when you're suddenly like, oh my gosh, there's so many dudes here. And also, it's, it's also a good place to qualify yeah. as an age group. <laughs> age That's what I say. There's definitely like some girls going to Coda that were like, oh shit, I better start <laughs> training. Like, I'm the only person in my age group. I mean, I'm part of me Dakota. was like, whatever. These yeah. are the rules. They did yeah, it. Yeah, you showed up. You can't yeah. compete against people who aren't there. That's how it goes. Yeah. So it's also rough, though, I think, in the women's field, a pro field in those races. So. About Tell my race about specifically. Mm-hmm. So there were eight women, seven women, and it paid six deep. And there were like 17 or 18 men. So obviously this is one of those races where on the net, most people would be like, oh, see, it's easier for the women. You were like guaranteed to make money practically so much easier for the pro women. And you're like, okay, fine. True. Like it was easier for me to make $750 (laughs) than it was for like any of the guys, but this race. Okay. So the top three women were like Carolyn Stefan who's like crazy good, right? Imogene Simmons up and coming, like got like six at the worlds and Jeannie Seymour, who's like a 70.3 specialist, like has won a bunch of them, right? Mm -hmm. If you compare, so if you compare those top three women to the top three guys, not saying that the guys aren't really good, obviously they're better than me, but like the women were better, right? Like compare their times, compare the the results. The quality of the the field at the top. The quality of those top three. Right, right. And then literally, I think it was 17 minutes between... The, on the women's field between third and fourth. Like it was like a cliff. Like it just fell off a cliff. Wow. Like there was no, and I say that as someone who was at the bottom of the cliff, like I'm allowed to say yeah. that it just dropped off. Cliff. Yeah. And so like either when you're in that small a field, either you make that front group with the best in the world or you spend all day by yourself. And I spent all day by myself. Right. Which uh, creates like, an even bigger cliff, right? Because right. Which you're, is terrible. by yourself, there's no one around you. No like one we've talked you. about this multiple times, right? When when people don't, when athletes aren't, don't step up to the pro level and they're not, they're not given good reason to. And then you end up like with a few stragglers who are just by themselves. And it sucks. I mean, 
I think I didn't see anybody like literally not a single person on the road for like 45 minutes. And then it was like only because there was a U-turn that I saw the people up ahead. Right. Like, and that's rough. And so it's easy to say like, oh, the women's race is like not as competitive. It's not as a lot easier. But the reality there is that I need now in order to be in the race, I need to make a 17 minute jump or something right? in order to like be in the mix and be in the group. And that's like not realistic in like one go that I, I tried. I tried, Sarah. I tried to make that 17 minute jump and it went badly <laughs> and it would have been a lot nicer. Like I would have loved to have had what the men had, which was it was like close. There were lots of groups. If like there was a race, you were constantly racing somebody at every point and like they had a much better experience. And so it's easier, I would argue, for them to make those small leaps and move up a group, move up another group, move up a few minutes than it is to make this like massive leap that I'm now like presented with. Yeah. And I also think it's like, like besides being really tough, it's a really tough sell. It's a really tough sell to tell like women who are similar speed to me, like in this like middle in between. Yeah. Like, come and join me. Like, yeah, it'll be it's fun. so fun over here. Look, we're riding by ourselves for 50 kilometers at a time. Right, right. And, and we're 17 minutes behind Caroline Stefan. Yeah I, yeah, I just like, I agree with you. And I think that one thing is that like, you can't just look at like numbers on a start line and think that that's the only factor and then say it's easier for the women because right. you have to take all of the factors into account and it's different. It's different for the men than for the women. So it's not necessarily like, quote unquote, easier. Right. So it was, it was frustrating a little bit mm-hmm. having one of those like, oh, cool. I'm running around a lake in China by myself again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. With people taking videos of you. On With people phone, taking so. videos of me while they're smoking. Um, <laughs> it was very strange. So yeah. So anyway, I think that's like an, obviously we know that's an ongoing problem in the women's pro field. It just felt like so stark to be like in this in-between and you're like, I'm in between. I don't really want to get slower. So I guess I'm going to have to get a lot fucking a lot faster. faster. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you're so. right that there's no, like this, it, it doesn't appear to be as many stepping stones when you can't see yeah. the people, like when there's not 18 people around you to be able to see, Oh, the next step, the next step, the next step, right. or to have someone in front of you on the road, especially on the bike, but running too. like, you didn't go to China to run around a lake by yourself on race day. No. Um, I mean, it was interesting. So, okay. So last week, uh, we made a point about, about, you're trying to remember what the point was about, about yeah. how the crit, like the criticisms and the comments that come out against women's sports and you could call them trolls, you can call them whatever, but it's a lot of haters and how our net point was about how guys need to go and talk to guys, right? Like that they should go and confront their team. And uh, I feel like, I feel like we were asking, we were doing a shout out for support. Right. And I think we had some responses. Yeah. We had a voicemail from Nick, who is an Australian. I actually know him and he lives in Thailand. And so we're just going to play a little clip of what Nick had to say. Uh, When I tuned into the podcast uh, earlier this morning, Thailand time, um, it really was like getting hit by a uh, blunt object because um, certainly not what I was used to with um with you with what you guys do when we talk about all this me too and and feminism third wave feminism all that stuff you have to bear in mind that there are um, a lot of people on either side who've been um irreparably damaged by their life experience 
And it's those life experiences as a collective that make up all these studies. So when people are told that they're, or the perception is they're told their opinion doesn't matter because they don't have a tertiary degree in the subject, that can be individually damaging to a lot of people. The tone of what Kelly was saying is totally dismissive of the individual. And that's my issue. So if, if we want a discussion and try and figure out what's going on, we need to talk together. People don't listen to the uh, quiet protesters in the background. They'll listen to the people up the front screaming the loudest. And unfortunately, that really isn't the most constructive way to go. Anyway, that's uh, my thoughts on it. Uh, you guys are doing a great job. And, and, and I, I have to say, had I not followed you guys for the last, you know, however long it's been, Listening to the opening five minutes, I would have turned off and I would have never gone back. But I know that's not what you guys are about. Um, and and so I'll keep following on and, and we'll keep having these discussions. So um, all the best to you guys. Cheers. Okay, Sarah, you had gonna, a response to Nick. So right, you're going to have to let me talk for like a minute. Okay. And then you can go. Because I hey, have, everybody brace yourselves. <laughs> brace myself. All right. <laughs> So first off, I feel like this is a gut level, like defensive reaction, right? Like he feels like we are yelling at him and telling him he's doing something wrong. It's the, it's the like, not all men reaction, which I totally get. It's like fair. It's rational in all fairness. Like I often have a similar one when people are complaining um, about like white people do X or white people benefit from this. Like I will have a similar reaction. So I get that. But it was said to me one time that like, if instead of thinking like this person is saying I'm a bad person that this is about me. If you instead think of it as like, it's more a call to what are you doing to fix the overall system? You know, then you start, then just you take it out of the context of like, it's about, you know, whether or not I'm a good or a bad person. And it's about more, what am I doing in the context of like the overall structure and how am I fixing it and making it more fair for other people? Because I think our net point last week, and I'll repeat it because I feel like it didn't, didn't stick was that people's minds are not going to be changed in arguments online. They're not going to be changed in a podcast. They're going to be changed in like one-on-one conversations, right? In discussion, like, like he mentioned. And in a lot of instances, those discussions have to happen guy on guy. That there are many, many, many examples. And I think um, in his longer voicemail, he took issue with like a couple of my examples, but there are many examples of guys hating on women's sports, hating on like, why are there even women's sports? Why do we cover them? They shouldn't be paid as much. They're not as good, like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this is like an ongoing problem. And clearly some of those guys, and sometimes it's women too, but let's be fair, like it's often guys are not going to listen to me. Like they're going to listen to other guys because the reality is, and this is the second part of what I feel like his gut level reaction is in this voicemail is that there are always going to be people for whom I sound too angry. I sound too shrill and they're just like not going to take me seriously. And I think, I think on a certain level, he was having that gut reaction too. He was feeling like Kelly's just too mad. She's too angry. Maybe I said fuck too many times. And I think like that actually really gets down to how we view women's anger because there's more and more research. And I, I sent you like a text about that book that just came out called like good and mad recently mm -hmm. about the history of women's anger. There's more and more research about how we belittle and we look down on and we downplay and we diminish women's anger that like, Oh, she's too shrill. She's too like, we, we act like it's not 
mature, right? It's not like, oh, they just need to be civil. They just need to have like, like if they just had like calm conversations, if they just asked politely for a seat at the table, like we'd be happy to get, which one like isn't realistic. Like throughout history, all social change has not happened because someone asked nicely to like be given their share. It's happened because people got angry. And two, like women have asked nicely throughout history. Like, let's be real. Like they've asked, like, can we have our share of seats at the table? Can we have our share of like equal rights? And like, it hasn't happened. So like, don't act like this anger and frustration came out of nowhere because the reality is that right now women are angry. They are frustrated. And you can think that like, I'm just a bitch. Like I'm just too mad. I should be nicer. But I got so, so, so many responses after last week of women being like, yes, like, holy fuck. Yes. Like men listen to other men. It's so frustrating. Here's an example. Here's an example. Here's an example from my personal life of like how people won't listen to me. And I'm so angry about it. So you can like count me out. You can be like, oh, I just don't want to listen to this anymore. Like this isn't fair. This isn't like nice. This isn't like a discussion, but it's representative of like a huge portion of the population that feels angry and frustrated and like they're not being listened to. And so maybe, so here's my, here's my sum up, Sarah. I think if you ask yourself, like, why am I having this gut reaction? You might realize that it has a little bit more to do with you than it does with like me and my anger. Does that make sense? Yes, I think so. Who is the you in this situation? <laughs> oh, I say like, so clearly he had a gut reaction to our conversation, right? right? That was like kind right. of a defensive, kind of felt like I was too angry. And I think that gut reaction comes from a place that has been like created by society that has been created by like things you've learned throughout your like life, right? And it, if you examine your gut reaction here, like maybe you will come to a different conclusion. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I hear okay. you. I think I hear okay. you there. I like, I, yeah, I definitely hear you on the way that we understand women's anger, the way that we hear women's voices for sure. And the way, and like some of the emails I, I was in on some of those emails too, that people really responded to and had lo- seemed to have loads of stories where like nobody would listen to me and then they listened to my husband, you right. know? Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was like a really interesting kind of like experiment of small pool. But the other thing, like I thought about Um, about Nick's response is that like he heard us creating like an us and them, Mm -hmm. which like I didn't hear us creating like, so, or I didn't like intend, like it wasn't like us women, them men. Like, in fact, I almost felt like I was, we were asking for like a bridge, like, Hey guys, can you help us out? Like people might, as a way to make change, people might listen to you because this is the experience of some people as we've learned this week. So I think that's more what I heard. So yeah, I was just a little perplexed that he heard the us and them, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, if that's what he heard. I don't think he was the only, I mean, I think obviously not every single person, we like 90% of people who listen to us respond to us because we, because, because they feel like they know us, but not every person who thinks something is going to tell us. And I don't think he was the only one. I do think that's a very common reaction yeah. to feel like you're creating an us versus them. Um, that it's like a defensive, like, why is she mad? You know, why are, why are those women mad at me? I mean, there's a reason like not all men became a hashtag, right? Like, because people feel like you're accusing them. Right. Um, yeah, I agree. And also like from that point, I respect Nick as someone who heard something, who's a regular listener, you know, right. and I know he's been super supportive of everything I've been doing with Live Feisty. And then he had a thought, he had a reaction and then was willing to share it. So I, right. I super respect that because then we can have this conversation. Back, right. Cause you know? there are definitely people who had that reaction and just turned it off. And, so. Just turn it off and we'll never listen again. Like <laughs> there will be those people too. So and that's fine. That's your right. You know? 
So exactly. There are many other endurance sports outlets out there for them. Ooh, good segue. (laughs) Thank you. Did you like that? Uh, I I like because the last thing we wanted to talk about this week was, and I mentioned this in the newsletter, there are like so many sports media outlets, but like even specifically within the framework of endurance sports, there's like YouTube channels. There's so many, everyone has a podcast. There's, um, all these new websites. I mentioned a couple in the newsletter that do, you know, athlete stories. A lot of them do like first person kind of letting athletes tell their own story, either through video or interviews or photos, sometimes like a combination of those. And it's starting to feel like, holy shit. This is over, like, what are all these different things? There's even been times I've texted you and been like, do you know anything about this one? What is it? And I feel like I pay attention. So I feel like two sports media. So there's got to be people who are even more confused. Like, what is this? Who are all of these? How do I even know what to watch or listen to? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I really notice in the triathlon space is that, well, first of all, we have like our traditional media, like triathlete mag and their online presence and and they're the ones who have lasted in the North American context. We still Mm -hmm. have triathlon magazine Canada, but, (laughs) um, and then we also have slow twitch of course, which just seems like, which is like the online, but then now a lot of the new media seems to be like either driven by the athletes themselves or the athletes hiring a videographer to do there or the videographers putting it out there that they'll do videos because the athletes have a bigger following. Like if you're doing videos for Daniela and you share with Mm -hmm. her like a hundred K followers on Instagram, like you have a built-in audience there, right? Versus like what would be, what is much harder as I know, because we're trying, we know because we're trying to do it, right? Kelly is like (laughs) to create an alternative media source that like Liv Feisty, creating the podcast from different, having a bunch of different voices and this under the same heading then you have to build your audience from scratch. And that is, um, that to me is a lot harder. Yeah. So I, it's, it's hard. I'm like not complaining though. Like I'm actually not complaining. No, I'm, like not really, complaining. Okay. I'm like actually really happy with the progress that we've been able to make. But I, I understand why people who are interested in this kind of venture, like the writers, the videographers will just go straight to the athletes and try to like leverage that following. Right. So I do think there's also, but even outside the endurance sports world, there's been a growing number of athlete first outlets like the players tribune right? right which is like Derek cheaters and um and even the athletic i want to say and i think that's coming from the athletes feel like they're not being able to tell their stories directly and the fans want like a direct connection which gets to my second half of my question about this which is what is it that people actually want because a lot of this new endurance sports stuff is like training videos i mean some of them are like really good videos but like i don't watch training videos so i don't know so what is it that people actually want to see? I, I don't know. I'm actually not sure. I know what I want to see, but I feel like I might be a weirdo. Or is it, or let me put something out there. <laughs> Do people want a variety <laughs> of things all in the same place? <laughs> like, you know, like, so you could have, like, you can go to a website and if you want to watch a training video, you can. But if you also want to hear like an in-depth analysis of something of like a social aspect of the sport, like we do, you could also, <laughs> you could also listen to that podcast. You're like, if that is what you would like, let me suggest let me, a website. Let me suggest if we were riding, it's an excellent podcast and newsletter. No, but like, like I still think I still, that's why I still kind of think, and like, I sort of have to believe this because I'm doing it, that like, eventually people are going to want, like a, people want a variety of things and that they want to know where to go to get the thing that they want. And you want one place to send people. Right. And so yeah. 
It's going to be interesting to see what survives. I mean, even within the context of a lot of these new things, a couple of them, I went to look for them yesterday and they're already gone. Like their website's already down. So not everybody's going to make it. This is true. Yeah. But we're resilient, aren't we, Kelly? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. After the break, we got a voicemail from Aaron, our podcast editor. We would like to thank our sponsors, Ass Kicker Inc. and Crave Jerky. You can support the podcast and get 20% off by using the code RIDING, that's R-I-D-I-N-G, at asskickerinc, inc with a K, dot com. And Crave Jerky, crave with a K, dot com. If you don't already, follow us on all the social medias at If We Were Riding on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And make sure you subscribe to our feed on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. If We Were Riding is hosted by Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross. Our fabulous editor is Aaron Hamilton. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in the top. I'm ready to do this, show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. So Kelly, last week, your mom sent in a voicemail about the importance of, well, she was asking about the importance of spectators at Iron Man. And Aaron had a few thoughts about that. Hi, everyone. I kind of wanted to give some of my comments and a little story regarding the topic last week about the importance of having support at an Ironman. So when I did my first full Ironman in Coeur d'Alene last year, about 10 to 20 miles into the bike, my stomach shut down and I wasn't able to eat or drink anything. And when I got to the end of the bike, I was seriously considering pulling myself out. And then I suddenly started to hear my name and I saw that it was my ex-wife and my daughter off the, off to the side. And I told her that I'm going to pull out. I haven't been able to eat and I don't think I'll be able to do this. I don't think I would be able to finish. And she told me that I'm more than capable of being able to finish the run and cross the finish line and that I needed to do it because the goal was that important. When I was about a mile or so into town and really close to the finish line, uh, one of the volunteers noticed that my ex-wife was helping me and setting my pace, and he saw how much I was struggling, and he decided to help as well. So he left his little spot and helped pace me with my ex-wife and encouraging me to keep going because all I wanted to do was quit because I was dizzy. I wasn't able to see straight because my brain injury was reaching its limits. And they took me all the way to the final straight to the finish line. And for some reason, when I got there and heard the crowd yelling, I just, the adrenaline kicked in and pushed away all of the pain and I was able to finish it and achieve my lifelong goal of coming from not being able to walk to two years finishing a full Ironman. And I know 100% that if my ex-wife wasn't there pushing me and helping me and encouraging me that I can do this, I knew I would have pulled out right after the bike. I would have quit. So 
for me at least, having that level of support at the race was critical and helped me immensely. And I know that I wouldn't be able to do it without them. So I was really appreciative and thankful 